Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm excited to bring you today's interview with Phyllis Jeffers Coley. Let me tell you a little bit more about Phyllis. Phyllis Sweet Potato Jeffers Coley, aka Tata Phyllis, is the co founder and co owner of Diasporic Soul, which she and her husband, Eddie Professor Onion Sauce Coley, established in 2016. Diasporic Soul offers heritage and healing experiences that integrate both culture, soul, and contemplative practices. Diasporic soul heritage and healing experiences hold space for Black people to deepen their capacity to practice self-care and for healing and restoration, resilience, and resistance. Phyllis is the author of We Got Soul, We Can Heal, Overcoming Racial Trauma Through Leadership, Community, and Resilience. She is also the author of When Grandma Comes to Visit, exploring how communion with our ancestors and nature deepens our capacity for healing, restoration, resilience, and resistance that was recently published in Transcendent Wisdom and Transformative Action, Reflections from Black Contemplatives, Journal of Contemplative Inquiry on April 19th, 2022. Phyllis is also the co-author of They Are Coming to Get Something, a qualitative study of African-American male community college students, education abroad experience in Senegal, West Africa. This was published in Frontiers, the Interdisciplinary Journal of Study Abroad in August of 2022. As celebrated in Chapter 11, Love Heals of We Got Soul, We Can Heal, she is a proud North Carolina native and graduate of North Carolina Central University, where she majored in English language and literature and served as the Shut Him Down, SGA president and editor of Ex Umbra Literary Magazine. Jeffers Coley's love for HBCUs is reflected in her six-year tenure as Dean of Enrollment Management at Central State University, where she held space for primarily first-generation Pell-eligible Black students who lovingly referred to her as Ma Dean. She completed her MA in English, Language, and Literature at the University of Maryland. Phyllis is a certified yoga teacher, a 600-hour certified yoga instructor, and continues to explore ways that culture, soul, and contemplative practices can allow us to experience healing and restoration. I hope you enjoy this interview with Phyllis Jeffers-Coley. Welcome, Phyllis. I am excited to be in space with you. Thank you for saying yes to being a guest on the Finding Refuge podcast and for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really humbled and honored to be with you, Michelle. For my yeah. your work for a long time. Thank you. And both of us, for the listeners, before we started recording, I held up Phyllis's book, We Got Soul, We Can Heal, Overcoming Racial Trauma Through Leadership, Community, and Resilience. And Phyllis has Finding Refuge um, on um, her desk as well. And so Mm -hmm. it's just sweet. We've both, I think, been following each other's work for a while. And what an honor to be in shared community and shared space today. So I'm excited to dive in. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to share some about who you are and what you're up to or what maybe even feels most alive at this time, however you want to answer. Oh, I'm from North Carolina, <laughs> which is really important to me. It's part of how I, I talk about myself and understand myself in relationship to the rest of the world. I function in and out of North Carolina, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Senegal, West Africa. I'm married to a brother, um, ending in ah instead of er, <laughs> for those that differentiate between brothers and brothers. 
mm-hmm. um, married to a brother who is Senegalese, um, a native of Senegal and also French and also has American citizenship. What's bubbling up for us right now in yoga, we talk about Ishvani Pranadana and, you know, it's different when you really actually have to do it. <laughs> um, so that's the big bubble for us. Um, I just came back from the States in December and promoting the book and talking about our heritage and healing work who died for a soul. And now it's time to let it marinate, let it sit, let the seed germinate. I majored in English. Let the seed germinate a bit. Because that's uh, what we're being forced to do is let them germinate. So I'm really in this position of figuring out what it means to surrender and be still at the same time. After doing so much for so long, this is year seven for us. So, yeah, that's what's bubbling up. And and that's kind of a beginning about who I am and what I do and why I do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you um, for locating yourself, like sharing where you are and what's bubbling up and the practice of Ishvara Pranadana. And for those listening who may not be familiar, this is one of the um, Ishvara Pranadana is one of the Niyamas. And it is exactly what you just spoke to around um, stillness and surrender and often talked about as surrender to something bigger or God or spirit or creator, that which is bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And I think in my own experience, it is a beautiful, lovely practice and a challenging oh. practice, right? Yeah, yeah. Like how, yeah. how do Your we actually trust? All. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. In real life. Yeah, how do, how do we do this? And so I'm wondering, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, I have a lot of questions, but one of the questions from what you just said that um, emerged for me is, what's supporting you in this practice of surrender and stillness like what's helping you be in this space as things are germinating of ishvara pranadana Jin, and i say that to, as my metaphor for community like what covid brought to bear for me was needing community much more and having the opportunity to enter community and being home in the u.s um this fall um, made that much clearer to me. So having having a sense that I'm supported by others in a collective and communal way um, absolutely helps me let go of all my need to, to know what's happening next or to plan what's happening next. I typically buy this calendar every year. It's like a witch calendar, a paganist calendar, and I I chose not to buy it this year. So I have this Audubon bird calendar that my dad got in the mail. You know, when you're a senior citizen, get all this crap in the mail. I still tuck it in my bag. It's gone everywhere with me. But in the mat, and just uh, my mat is typically located, my yoga mat and bolsters. And I'm a restorative practitioner mostly. Um, And so I find sanctuary and solace on my mat with my support in front of my ancestral altar. So I've spent a lot of time at the altar with my ancestors and with the energy, my ancestors and, and Eddie's ancestors. Um, I pay homage to both of them there. So lots of candles, lots of non-champa. Non-champa, by the way, it's not air freshener. It is sacred, ladies and gentlemen. Just put that in your footnote, okay? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. My non-chomp of my candlelight, my altar, my mat, and having people who support me um, through the process. Mm-hmm. So that's what's helped so far. And being reflective, like being able to journal, being able to send notes to elders and them kind of pat me on my head, say, good job. Like I have an elder mentor who I talk about in the book briefly towards the end of the chapter on elder mentors, who's my, my supervisor at the HBCU initiative 30 years ago. And every time I tell her where I am spiritually and in life, good job, good job. So it helps to have elder mentors who have a 
different set of wisdom and perspective on these things. We've done it already, theoretically, mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really struck by that chapter in your book and thinking about a practice of connecting um, with and honoring elders and what you just named about the practice of of writing letters to elders and that connection. And mm-hmm. it's, it's making me um, curious about this incarnation of who you are at this time mm-hmm. and, and how you came in and like what opened your vessel to this practice of um, knowing that we need a connection to elders. Like if you know, if you're even able to articulate that, but I think it's sort of a, some people know that and intuitively mm-hmm. understand that. And some people come mm-hmm. to that and some people never remember that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that's mm-hmm. where my question is coming from. Like what, did you come in with that? Did something reveal that to you? Does something remind you of that? Because I think it's so central, like as a practice. Well, you know, as a Southerner, right? A Black girl grow, who grew up in North Carolina, I mean, there's this initial, like, this narrative of respect your elders. And for the most part, other than my, my, my biological parents who I gave, I gave hell to. I mean, I just, I wore my mama out for saying, Mom, I'm sorry. I told her I'm sorry. I've made amends. Um, in the spirit of the 12-step recovery program. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a fundamental value I always had. And then going to an HBCU where it's still this sort of reverence or respect for, for that, those who have gone before you historically, the legacy of the institution or the institutions or community or Black folks in general. Um, and then, you know, when you have Arthur Sanders talking to you in your English class and she teaches you every year another course, you just, it just happens. Um, but I think sort of at this iteration of my adult life, it's coming to Senegal and seeing it play out in real time. And so, which for me looks like Eddie's mom physically being here after when we first got here, she was still in France and the trajectory between Senegal and France was colonizing the back and forth between those that were not free, pre-1960 and those who are free now, what that looks like for them in towards, towards the economic advancement, the different conversations, but to have her finally physically present here more than she was in France and the way in which people come to her as the as the matriarch and she sits out in the cafe every day for hours and hours. I mean she closes the cafe. I don't close the cafe. She closes the cafe. So to watch these young people in their 30s who are trying to like create a a, a little board, a little commission or something like a community action entity um, in the community and coming to her and sitting at her feet like that happened in the first year or so that I got here. And watching my husband, who's seven years older than me, get that same sort of respect and reverence. Like, it's hard when they say, where's the old man? And literally, that's the translation, Anapabiji, where's the old man? And I'm like, who are you talking about? You talking about my husband? And yeah. So being in this position with him, and then reading Somay, and him naming sort of this, somebody asked me, why, why, so, why so made so important to you? I said, because he gave me language for what I was experiencing. And as somebody who loves words and wordplay, it's helpful. So he, he gave me like this little guidebook in the middle of what I was experiencing, gave, gave names to it. So I would say reading so made in, in real time, sitting with Eddie's mom and watching the movement around my husband and my mother-in-law and how that repeats itself over and over, no matter where we go in this country, in Senegal, has helped me um, fortify that sense that I need to go back and maintain those relationships with the Dillon Hunt, with Mrs. LeBlanc and other elders in my community that primarily have come to me through education and professional experiences. So personalizing those more and being attentive to them. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that and and just your reverence for this practice of honoring elders and listening to elders and 
just infusing this and witnessing because you named that too. And it, it's making me wonder, my friend, and several people talk about this, but my friend Stephanie Ghoston Paul talks about being a living ancestor, like we are living ancestors at this time. We're also preparing to be <laughs> ancestors mm-hmm. because we will all transition out of these bodies and from this realm. And I'm curious to know if you play this role, the role that elders play for you that you you named, um, do you play this for others? And or is there wisdom you would impart to people from your your role as a living ancestor, if that resonates? I tend to prefer elder to talk about the relationship I'm in with the generations that are behind me or beside me, um, but are asking me to, for guidance. So a big part of what, what I do or the role that I play. So I used to be Ma Dean at Central State, which is a small public HBCU in the cornfields of Ohio. I was Ma Dean. So there's always been this maternal elder, can you help me figure out and navigate my existence on this planet, particularly as a Black kid from a, a space that was not always safe or where I didn't necessarily have support um, as a someone in their late adolescence, early adulthood. And some of those relationships have just followed me from Central State all the way to, to now. Um, and then there's you. What's interesting is when you're 50, and you have a young person in your life who's 35 and they're in higher ed or education, they have young people that belong to them. So I have Kyra Shahid who belongs to me and I didn't really know her as an undergrad. I knew she existed. She's one of my students and she will tell you that I helped her stay in school. I gave her a Marauder something something grant. But her kids, the students that she served in the Center for Diversity and Inclusion are my kids. So there is this connectedness, you know, like I'm exchanging voice memos with young men from California who want to talk to me at 7 a.m. my time, midnight their time. I'm exchanging memos with young men and women in Ohio and California who have questions. Eddie's doing the same thing with young people here and young people there in the U.S. who they are my kids first and then he adopts them. So there's absolutely I absolutely am an elder mentor, for sure. No doubt about it. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Gives me purpose, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, it gives me purpose. I can see that. I mean, for folks listening, we're on Zoom, so I can see Phyllis. And I can see that on your face, like the, and the, the like, clarity and conviction around it when you said it gives me purpose, right? Like it, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is one of the, it sounds like it's part of your, your practice work, dharma, whatever word we might want to use to describe purpose mm-hmm. um, in this life and that you're, you're really listening to that and honoring that purpose with intention. I'm doing my best. And it is, and it, I mean, you do have to be intentional about what came up for me in between the two questions was this the time you just use in being intentional about it. Cause it's easy to forget until it's Christmas or Thanksgiving, you call your aunt, you call the matriarch of the family, you wish her happy Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas or a Habarigani or whatever your thing is. But it's different when you actually are in a relationship with your aunt or your uncle or your the the guy that sat on the street the whole time you lived in Brooklyn. Oh, of Cincinnati, right? Like, it's it's a choice to hold space for people in your life. If you're the sort of wisdom keeper as the elder, or you're seeking some sort of guidance or wisdom as the younger person in the space, yeah, it is. It's a choice. It can easily be a practice, like any part of any practice. Like when you think about your mat and how much you get on it, like that's a really practical concrete like a rock <laughs> but the relationship and the belonging and the Chevrolet stuff you have to be intentional about it or you just you won't you you won't practice it because we come from a culture 
in the U.S. where that's, we don't have time for that. I don't got time for that. We quick to say, I don't have time for that. You probably don't. But when you're sick or when your heart is broken or when you're grieving, these are the people that would have historically brought you a casserole. So you do want somebody to make you a casserole. It might be, Kyra might bring me a casserole. And she has figuratively speaking, and she's 15, approximately 15 years younger than me. The Dillahunts might bring a casserole, and they have figuratively, and they're my elder mentors. You know? Yeah. Mm. We all need yeah. casseroles. We do. I, I, just the way you spoke about that and this practice of being in relationship with, of remembering we are in relationship with one another because mm -hmm. we are, but it's like, how do we show that? Right. And, and live into it is really what I felt in my body as I was listening to you. And as you talked about the casserole and I, the other day, one of my friends, um, their mother just transitioned and mm -hmm. um, I spent some time on the phone with them the day after this happened and, and then mailed a care package to them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just, it just came to me as you were talking about it, like the, I'm not, I'm not like uplifting myself, but the, the practice of like being present with someone as they're moving through whatever it might be, a loss, a transition, a change. I'm, I mean, life is in session, things are happening. So whatever it might yes. be. Yeah. And then the like ritual of offering something be that like, I'm going to sit with you and we don't even have to say anything or I'm going to set them some honey for my bees and some other things, right? Like something mm -hmm. sweet and, and bath salts mm -hmm. and just something for self-care and, um, and what you named about culture around Yes, it took time to talk to them. And yes, it took time to go to the post office to mail this package and to box it up and tissue paper and all that. And how important that time it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's we're just making me think about our orientation to time and what we actually think we have time for and what's true versus what mm -hmm. we think with an awareness that people's lives are full. Um, but the value of that intentionality and how we relate is what's coming through for me. And how lo how lost I feel like that is for many people based on what you named about the culture and how it's how it's set up. And the other thing that came through is the importance of um, it's like practice to your point. So like, do I practice when I really need to practice, or do I practice every morning sitting on the cushion, which is right behind me in front of my altar, so that my practice is really with me when I need it, right? Like, do I? Mm -hmm. What's my orientation to that? Um, mm -hmm. And just what a powerful inquiry I feel like you invited us into. And this is all making me think about your book, which I would love for you to share some about. We got soul, we can heal, and like the, which is it's a book I'm holding it but it's a body of work and a practice and so I'm mm -hmm. curious if just wondering if you would share some about the emergence of this we got soul we can mm -hmm. heal and um, anything you want to share with listeners about this body of work and and your practice around healing can I say something about what you said first okay. absolutely we can go wherever yes yeah what came up for me is my mom has this my mom is Capricorn very organized. And somebody asked me, I did the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance books and brunch, and somebody asked this question. And my teacher, Rama, teacher battles, asked me this question earlier, months earlier, about well, what did your mother teach you? And my mother taught me about care packages. So what came up for me when we talked was the plastic container, milk crazy thing that's in the onwar that's full of tissue paper. And like, this intentionality around being able to love upon other people for me in a very concrete way is that tissue paper that you name that goes in the care package. And I have a friend, Ellen, who's a florist, and she would stop to have tissue paper stuck here and stuck here and stuck here. She would always just, I'm sure, have to go charge and buy a new fresh pack. But there's just something about the tissue paper that just pops up for me to color how it resonates in this idea of getting a box of care in the, in the mail as part of the 
the intentionality of being the community and belonging to other people and helping other people through loss and grief and challenge and transition and transformation, et cetera. Yeah. We Got Soul, We Can Heal is an outgrowth and connected to a loss. And I, I, I thought about how I wanted to talk about loss because of your work around loss and grief and how your work has helped me be much more aware of grief and loss um, and their coexistence and their existence in our lives. So for me, the loss was losing the mod being my dean, um, not necessarily the positionality of being a dean, but being in this space with young adults in this early 20s, late teens, and not really quite fully knowing what to do with that. But coming to a place here initially to open, we were just going to open a cafe. But at the same time, spirit was moving me in ways I understand because long before we even thought about moving here, long before my husband's job got downsized in corporate America, I was attending these classes, Bagwell Venture Entrepreneurship Training Classes. And I was conceptualizing this pilgrimage experience for Black kids. And I had a Jewish woman as my coach. Those of you who know these like entrepreneurship programs, they're often staffed through the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and there's this thing called SCORE. And just because of the way corporate America works, um, unless you're in a really black, middle-class space, like a New York or Chicago, your SCORE mentor is not going to be black. They're not going to be brown. They're going to be a white person. They're going to be an old white person. So this older Jewish woman, not to complain, white or Jewish, that's a whole other conversation. I'm not having that one today. Who's like, well, this is what we do. It totally makes sense. I'm like, girl, you just gave me fuel full of fire. You <laughs> told me that. Oh, this is what y'all do. Y'all actually invest in collectively, communally, in sending your kids to a place that affirms their value and worth, that tells them over and over, not only are you worthy, you're freaking extraordinary. Like, you're the chosen people. Like, you. And you get to go to this physical place, which is its own other conversation that we're not doing here today. But you get to go to this physical place and have this embodied, concrete experience with identity and worth and culture. That no matter how many times you went to to practice, no matter how great your bar mitzvah was, it's not real. And so you actually go to this place and have this experience. So for me, I realized, oh, something changes when you come here. And I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I, I, I don't, okay, I'm not going to do not. What I understood, I had people come here. Initially, I was still, I was still a dean. I was like, we're doing study abroad for black kids so they can go somewhere else besides South Africa. Because when you look at the data, when people go to Africa, primarily they go to South Africa, and more and more of us are going to Ghana, and more people are coming to Senegal. But primarily, South Africa is what pops up for people when you say, Oh, I'm going to Africa. And there's some safari nuts, but that's another conversation, too. So I had a, one of my former students who ran the LGBTQ center at NYU came. He's like, Girl, this is not study abroad. <laughs> he was like, This is healing work. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm I'm cognitive. I'm I'm Phyllis Jefferson, could have been PhD, whatever, whatever, North Carolina Central University, University, Catholicism. My daddy and my mama walked away from that a long time. I don't got no time for all that. What you talking about? Healing. I ain't no healing. I don't lay my hands on nobody. I know I don't know what you're talking about. And then I began to realize the more I watch people. And there's this moment in the text where I talk about going to Glory Island and it's 2019. And this kid ends up in my arms, Marcus from California. He's like 26 years old. And I have never held him. I mean, I have never held a man like this before in this amount of like 
he's weeping and he just can't stand up. And I, I'm, you know, I have to use my whole body, my torso, my legs, all of me to hold him. Just, just to see two corridors just adjacent to the door, no return at Glory Island, the Maison Enslavement. And then I realized this is huge. And when you read what he says, or you listen to what he says, because you there's there's a reel of it somewhere out there in my social media, but there's the words. And when you listen to him, and he names it as I let something go. Somehow he's he's connected, his spirit has connected this historical trauma, this historical loss and grief that's tied to the as transatlantic slave trade in this door, in this place, in this house, on this island, in Africa, with all that gets sat on top of him and imposed on him as a Black young man operating and functioning in his Black body in California. And I didn't get, I don't, I, I don't give, I don't talk a lot about yoga philosophy. I don't, I don't talk explicitly for a long time about race, race, stress, and trauma. What I talk about is who do you belong to? Can you do a, a diagram of who you belong to? Here's some check. Like, I'll, I, I, I try, I, I'm trying to get you out of your head and into your, into your body. So the book is an extension and a reflection of what I've seen and what I've observed about how seeing yourself differently in your black body to a more balanced and more harmonized state with yourself. It can help you to make these really different choices. There's a young lady that called, she called me from the hospital twice in her first year of dental school. And I remember putting her on a tree. We took her to see a shaman and her religious background and her high effort coping and her degreed experience at this Jesuit, like she was not, she couldn't handle it. She was thinning. So I just put her on a tree. And I had already taught them how to breathe. We had already done pranayama practice. We'd already practiced restorative yoga in Cincinnati prior to them coming in. I just could put her on the tree. And when she called me subsequently, I could send her, I could send her the bolster. You know, I just sent her, she went over AK, so I sent her this beautiful rose-colored bolster. And she knew what to she knew what to do with it. And she told she decided not to go to dental. She walked away from dental school in the first year and decided she was gonna go work in a dental practice. And then she decided she was gonna go work for black women. She works for all black female dental practice in Columbus, Ohio. So that's what I mean by like part of the healing is like being able to make choices that feel more liberating versus bound to these notions of success and respectability. So we got so we can heal offer resources like the body as a resource, yoga and, and, and what we know about yoga and pranayama and the body and the breath and spirit as resources, but these cultural resources too both those that are like tied to history, but also that are tied to the immediate moment now. Like, what does it mean to see the Frederick Douglass statue on the campus of the University of Maryland? Or what does it mean to see a Ken Day Wiley piece or a G. Horton piece? What does it mean to, to, to be a five-year-old girl in North Carolina with Afro puff that your mother's never gonna perm because it's 2022. My niece will never have a perm pulled through her hair until she decides that might be what she wants to do. She gets to see herself. So exploring these ideas of what is it like to see yourself in a much more powerful and affirming way. And Africa being just a part of being able to see that because so much of how we see ourselves in terms of white adjacency is as, is as far away from Africa as we can get. You gotta get far away. I want no part for that. I want no part for that. I want no voodoo. I don't want no voodoo. I don't want no dirt. I don't want no poverty. I don't want this. I don't want that. All the stereotypes. So it's like the book allows me to play with some of that. And I, even now, I'm like, oh, I didn't play hard enough. 
<laughs> Long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, there's so much to share about this. Not, you don't know it's everything. And you're, you're speaking to that. Right. Yeah. And you're also speaking about, I mean, you birthed this. So, yeah. right. You're like talking yeah. about this birthing of something that is so potent and um, necessary. And w one thing that I mean, I was like enthralled as you were sharing one thing that came up for me that I jotted down was cracking open. And mm -hmm. in both the story about the um, young woman who was in dental school and the young man from California, it, it made me think about like the cracking open that had to happen for the mm -hmm. transformation to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's always true. And in what you described, I think it's true. It's like, there mm -hmm. has to be that moment of cracking open to figure out what one wants to release as they're being affirmed for who they are and seeing themselves for who they truly are in a, in a world, in the worlds you described for them where white supremacy persists and there is no affirmation unless it comes from family or community, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in that space, you're talking about being in a place where people are affirmed because they're seeing themselves reflected. They're on land, right? That is, we're like rooted in, you know, mm -hmm. um, ancestrally and um, energetically and on a cellular level. And so I think my question is, does, do you feel like that? We'll have two questions. One is, did that cracking open happen for you too to create something like this? Maybe that's where I'll start. I was like, oh, did, did you do that too? You know what I mean? Like, did you go through that process? If you're willing to talk about some of that because you had to have to birth to birth something like this yeah i wonder so, how it mirrored your own process loss and grief going back to loss and grief so i found myself i talked to a brother sinclair he went to skiggy and howard and um he does a show on hur and and uh what kept coming up was this idea of finding yourself getting up off of the floor and I have a chapter on self-care and I named this work, this, these tapestries, these textiles done by my friend, Angel Franklin. And she has this piece about full cups. So something cracks and breaks. Often it's inside of you. Sometimes you don't even realize it's broken or cracked or that you're actually kind of floundering around on the floor trying to like, where, where are the lights? You know, where's my yoga mat? Where's the door? Where's the dog? Because if I, if the dog comes and cuddles and, and licks my tears, I'd be good if she would just get off of her high horse and come down here and take care of me because that's her job, right? So when you're down there on the floor all cracked up and broken, and it, you know, there's these layers to the, to the cracks. Like sometimes it's like a car accident. Like I have a scar on my head. It's tied to a car accident that sort of in the middle of the of the falling to the floor. I hadn't completely fallen to the floor, but I was, you know, it's like I was suspended above the floor. I was about to go down. This is just after, this is in 2012, right after my brother um, uh, was paralyzed in Kerr Beach in Wilmington. And I hadn't completely crashed and burned. So there is this crack, this break first. So some of us is like burnout, it's connected to like racism. Sometimes it's connected to other things. All these sort of layers that 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 unravel and end up on the floor with you waiting for the dog to come lick your face. And then there is sort of this cracking open when it comes to like, oh, this is some shit I can do to feel better. Really? Really? And you're like, oh. This is dope. Like the first time you're on a mat and you're on your back or on your side in a fetal position and you have this dope teacher who has just the right voice and just the right cadence. For me, it was Danny and he played Erica Badu's music all the time in yoga class. And I would just lay there all messed up. all Because I, I was still technically on the floor. And slowly I could open. And there's this moment when you access to your shoulders open and you feel your back you can feel your whole body on the floor and you feel supported by the floor versus like you just slam down and hit the floor because you're broken right 
in case y'all wondering what this yoga thing really is. For me, that, that's what it is. But then there is this sort of this this cracking, this open opening where you can start to let the light in, right? Because you leave a whole lot of shit down on the floor. I mean, eventually somebody will come sweep it up. The dog will eat it, whatever. But at some point, you you got more room. Like when we say, oh, you know, yoga, she talks so funny. You just need to release that. You just, you know, in your hips, your emotions get trapped there and you, you do a downward book, blah, blah, and you just do this and the butterfly support it and Padakanasana, da 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 da, and people are like, how do I release? Well, sometimes you can't, and sometimes you just do in the middle of nowhere. And when you let go of stuff, you make more room for new. So just cracking open, it leaves all the crap on the floor. Let you have more space to let more light in, so that you can. I like to talk about, you know, the dog with the speaker. It's like really old. It's older than me and you, where he's tilting his head towards the speaker. Like the opening looks like the dog tilting its head to the left and not just his head and his ear towards the the, the sound, but I'm going to tilt and I get to see a whole new angle, right? Like legs up the wall is about changing your perspective. So when you press open, you change your perspective and then you turn to the other side and you hear different, you see different, you smell different. It, it, it all shifts because what you let go of on that floor has been replaced by new information. And I don't mean cognitively, right? Sometimes it is cognitive. Like when Samaya from Richmond learns about Sheikh Asa Diop in his laboratory in Dakar, and she sees dark-skinned Black women and bright, vibrant prints and colors walking down the street with a basket on their head and a baby on their back and two, both of their hands full and ain't nothing falling, ain't nothing dropping, ain't nothing on the floor for the dog to eat. That's information that she's taking in in her head, but something shifting her spirit because she's been told that she's not beautiful or capable of carrying all this stuff in a way that's legal, you know, on this dirty country road. So, yeah, there is a cracking and a releasing and an opportunity to let go and to let in. But they, I think, I don't, for some people, it may be, it may feel simultaneously. For me, it was over time. It was over time. And it's a still, it's constant. It's not like I never get back on the floor. Like people who be like, how did this healing thing? Girl, you have to get back on the mat though. <laughs> or you could, you're going to be back where you started or someplace else. All tight and constricted, and your body hurts. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I just, I just like the imagery of it and the resonance around being on the floor, like literally on the floor. Mm. I remember that moment and moments since that time. And what you named about, like, it's not like I don't ever get back on the floor, right? Or feel disrupted in that way or cracked open mm. in that way. Um, there are so many things that happen to crack us open and what you named about practice and like the light coming in and wholeness is what I thought about and also shifting perspective and that healing isn't linear and that it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I really heard that. And, and just in a, I feel like an awareness of, of that and an openness to it is really powerful because it means we're like on a journey that will in involve our healing if we if we are embrace it right if we're willing to move mm -hmm. through it it's a lot more difficult if we're not willing to embrace that that's just how it is to be in a human body mm -hmm. right at yeah. this time in this yep. world that yeah. part of it means we have to continue to show up for our healing in the way i really hear that you do and also that you came to um or remembered is probably more accurate um mm -hmm and are reminded mm -hmm. of now periodically mm -hmm. through your work and through your own just process and connection to spirit and ancestors. And yeah, so I, I appreciate you, you offering that. Um, and, and also like, um, there's something in what you said that really made me think about, I am in a lot of spaces where I'm facilitating and holding healing space and mm -hmm the urgency with which 
people show up around like needing to heal, but the like resistance to the practice that is necessary Mm -hmm. to heal is a theme that's Mm -hmm. coming up. Kind of like y'all need to practice, right? You just need to practice. Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. here are 15 ways you can do it. Choose one and sit on your cushion Mm -hmm. and practice or speak to your Ishvara or pray to your Ishvara, like Mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, or connect with it. Like you, you have to practice because you, you need this. So it just also made me think about both our like collective experience, but the individual process of healing too. And that practice looks different, like how we get up off the floor or how we let the light in Mm. or what allows the light to move in may be different for different people. That's what it really made Mm -hmm. me think of. And Mm -hmm. yet we, there needs to be some receptivity to, to that. So I appreciate you just all the sharing. You can't, I don't, I don't like to say absolutely anything anymore, but healing means there has to be something that you're willing to let go of, like what you felt like it is and always has been for you, because that's what you learned. That was your script. That was your sanskar. That was your schema. All those things you were given culturally and familiarly and in your DNA. Um, something got to give if you show up in a space with Michelle and you got to get something up, get something. Mm-hmm. That is real. That is so real. Yeah, it is. It's hard, but it's real. It's so real. <laughs> and I appreciate the framing of I'm like, yes, that is, that is it. I wonder, I think this is my final question for this conversation. I wonder if you would share a, a prayer for this work or a, um, and your practice I know you're in a period of rest, which may be the next step for it, but I'm sort of thinking about like, what's your wish for this? Not just the book, but again, the practice and body of work, we got soul, we can heal. Um, And the reason I ask is because I like for community and you have community to do this, but to hold that wish or prayer, that's where my question is coming from. The wish is to be able to play together and improvise together in community for those who have started on this path or understand on a deeper level what it is that we mean by having soul and healing. I, I want I want to see it be less arduous and more fun and more creative and more play playful like I want to laugh out loud with people who have had this experience and you want to help other people's people experience the myriad of emotions and shifts and transformations that can happen when you sort of tilt your head to the left tilt your head to the right and the prayer for me right now, the mantra, the affirmation, the thing that Alexa wakes me up with at six o'clock in the morning every day. I'd be like, stop, Alexa, stop, girl, I'm not ready to get up. But what's great is, you know, if you have the Alexa app, I don't work for Amazon, y'all, not an endorsement. <laughs> it'll come on your phone and it'll say what she, she said when you told her to stop. And it's a it's expansion with ease. Mm. Like not abundant. I, I don't need a lot. But I, I want to expand and expansion in a sense of more op- openness. Like when you think about how your body feels and you know, when you when you go back on a bolster and you got you're in a heart opening position and the way that feels. Yeah. Expansion with ease. It just flows. Flows is the prayer, the daily affirmation. And let me trust it. Let me trust. Mm-hmm. I don't get to tell you what expansion is. You got to right. listen. Mm. What a beautiful affirmation, mantra, prayer, wish, offering, gift. Thank you. Expansion with ease. Thanks Thank for letting you. me say it out loud five times. <laughs> yeah, I was with you. I was like, yes. <laughs> This is called being called into being um, yeah. again and again. 
And thank you for who you are and for your presence on this planet <laughs> at this time and for your practice and for the labor, um, your labor and all of the gifts you offer to the world. And thank you. Thank you for being here with me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.